Uh, we give a warm welcome to everyone to evening worship today, both to those in the church here and to those who are uh, joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 91. <coughs> Psalm 91, it's page 351 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song, He that doth in the secret place of the Most High reside under the shade of him that is the Almighty shall abide. I of the Lord my God will say he is my refuge still, he is my fortress and my God, and in him trust I will. We'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 91, He that doth in the secret place of the Most High reside. <coughs> together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we sing these songs, help us to stop and to ponder the truths that are contained within them. They deal with life as it really is, in all the rawness and in all the fallenness of it. The song speaks of 
the subtle fowler it reminds us of a description of the devil who sets a trap before the people of God and they're in it before they even realize it's there there is such subtlety and such cunning and such deviousness but at other times the song reminds us of the noise and pestilence it reminds us that sometimes he comes like a roaring lion there's nothing hidden it's all up front and it just comes with such force and such venom that it knocks us over but we thank you that that song gives us images of you that tells us that you are the almighty greater than any devil and legions of demons the song also gives us the image of being tucked up safely and securely under the shadow of a wing and we pray that we would be tucked up under the shadow of the wing of Jesus of Nazareth this night we come before you as sinners it's the only way we can come and we have nothing to woo you into our presence with this night absolutely nothing we have no merit whatsoever indeed the very opposite is true we have so much we have so many mountains of provocation that would cause you to shun us but our plea tonight is that you would come in amongst us and you would do us good we may pray that we would remember that you are a God of grace and from the word go after the creation of the very first of the human race and ultimately a fall you send Adam and Eve out of the garden of Eden with a ray of hope the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent <coughs> O Lord our God we thank you that the theme of the Bible from the very beginning to the very end is that there is a way back to God and we pray that as we gather here this night that we would be able to sing and to pray and to preach and to listen in such a way as would redound to the honour and the glory of your name we thank you for uh, having one who uh, this morning who, um, who knows what it is to face severe opposition bless him wherever he goes in life's journey be with him as you have been with him in the past and not only bless him but make him a blessing to others we pray but we realize as he alluded to himself that we don't need to go out with our own borders to face persecution we have seen the venom that rages against anything Christian and anyone who would dare to stand up and to stand out in that light in that respect we pray for Kate and Ali and the family again this night and we admire what they have done and we pray that you would keep them from the enemy of their souls we are in the midst of profound chaos in every direction in this nation that we find ourselves in and our plea is this that you would sustain those who are in positions of power who have acknowledged you and even raise up others so that we might give this nation what it absolutely needs we pray that you'd watch over us as a church as well we pray that you'd watch over us as individuals, as families, as a congregational family. O oh Lord, our God, we thank you for all the bonds we have. And our earnest prayer tonight is that wherever our loved ones might be, that they might be safe in the arms of Jesus. And that we wouldn't just be together in this world, but that we would be together in the world that is beyond as well. Because we have fled to the only Saviour of sinners remember those who would be here if they could but who cannot be a blessing to them where they are we thank thee that there are means whereby they can join in in a limited way 
But we pray that you'd remember also those who could easily be here, but who have chosen not to be, O Lord our God. You have given us many blessings, and you have given us means of grace to use. Please help us not to be foolish in this respect, but to use the benefits and the blessings you have given us, lest you take them away from us. So be with us, we pray, young and old. Guide us and keep us and bless us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's Psalm number 107. And this song is very, very descriptive of uh, the life's experience of every believer. There are ups and there are downs. We'll sing at verse 23, who go to sea in ships, and in great waters trading be. Within the deep these men God's works, and his great wonders see. For he commands, and forth in haste the stormy tempest flies, which makes the sea with rolling waves aloft to swell and rise. We'll sing verses 23 to 28, who go to sea in ships, and in great waters trading be. God's word as we find it in the gospel according to St. Luke and at chapter 24 at the beginning of the chapter. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they went in they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb stooping and looking in he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marvelling at what had happened. That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, A man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself so they drew near to the village to which they were going he acted as if he was he were going further but they urged him strongly saying stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent so he went in to stay with them when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and the, those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from uh, his word. Let's join together again in prayer. <coughs> o Lord our God, we thank you for how refreshing and honest this book is. Even these disciples, who had been in your immediate presence for three solid years, maybe three and a half years, who had seen the most astonishing of miracles and who had heard sermons from the lips of God himself and who even performed miracles through the power of the Spirit of God indwelling them thought that the empty tomb was an idle tale we 
are so slow of heart to believe as well in the 21st century. And we ask you to forgive us that. We are so full of fears and so full of anxieties and worries and cares. And most of it is down to as not being in your word and even if we are in your word not listening to you the way we ought to listen to you and not believing you the way that we ought to believe you but we thank you that when you met with these disciples when they were huddled together in that locked room in Jerusalem terrified for their lives that you did not come to them with an air of condemnation but rather you give them great encouragement. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. They had all forsaken you to a man. They had all fled. When the going got tough, they took to their heels and they ran. But there's not a word about that. It's fear not. Fear not. And so we pray that we who are gathered here tonight with all our individual cares and fears would listen to the same Saviour who is the Almighty God that we've been speaking about. We are like these people in the song that we've just sung. They reel and stagger like one drunk at their wit's end they be. But we thank you that we are going to go on to speak about a saviour who takes his people from the storm of life and brings them to the haven that they desire to see. You are our only hope. And we pray that as we go through this world we would be able to point others to the only hope that this world can give to us. Be with us, we pray, as we turn to explore your word afresh. Help us in all our need. Please help us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue in the same song, Psalm 107, at verse 29. The storm is changed into a calm at his command and will, so that the waves which raged before now quiet are and still. Then are they glad, because at rest and quiet now they be, so to the haven he them brings, which they desire to see. We'll sing uh, verses 29 to 32. The storm is changed into a calm.
And let's turn to the passage we've read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, and we're going to read again at verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. We've been looking at the Easter story for some time now, and last Lord's Day we looked at these two on the road to Emmaus. They were leaving the city of Jerusalem, a seven-mile journey down to Emmaus, and they were absolutely desolate because of the things that had happened in uh, Jerusalem but they are joined on the journey by none other than the risen Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus turns to the Old Testament it's only the Old Testament that's been written at that stage and he goes to the prophets and he goes to the to the law of Moses and he goes to the Psalms and he declares to them that the very things that had so depressed them and so deflated them and had gotten them into the doldrums were the very same things that would have them accelerated in their souls and have them saying, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us by the way and opened to us the scriptures? Now these people made the same mistake as you and I so often make. And that mistake is this. It's not that they didn't know something about Jesus. And it's not that they didn't know something about what he had to say. It's that they didn't really believe what they were being told. It's the exact same problem as you get with these disciples who are confronted by an empty tomb and they think it's idle tales that's just being told to them. But these disciples as well had been told clearly by Jesus that he would die and on the third day he would rise again. You remember there were some who mocked and scorned Jesus when he said, destroy this body and in three days, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. And they thought he was talking about the edifice, the building in Jerusalem. And just just by, by way of... Um, you know, I went on to YouTube this afternoon and I'd been going back and forth to the Wailing Wall right throughout Passover just to see something of what's going on there. And, and I think right now the Wailing Wall is absolutely jam-packed with Jewish people. And they're all there with their prayer shawls and they're all there bowing before the wall and they're all there touching the wall. And... and um, it's also very, very religious. But I don't know how many of them, I don't know how many of them have captured this truth. That salvation is a gift from God through the finished work of Jesus of Nazareth. That salvation is a gift and it's bought at the price of the death of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's, I hope, why you and I are here this night. We don't have to go to a wailing wall. We don't have to touch, well, it's not the temple. It's, we think it's the, it's, well, they call it a retaining wall. They think it's part of the foundation of the, of the last temple that was, uh, that was there. But they thought that Jesus was referring to that temple. And that temple had taken 46 years to build. And they're mocking him and saying... You, you're going to raise the temple that took 46 years to build in three days. He wasn't talking about the building at all. He was talking about his body. 
That's the temple he was talking about. Destroy this temple. And on Good Friday they thought they had destroyed that temple. They thought they had eliminated someone who was nothing but a pest. And getting in the way of their religiosity. But there's an empty tomb. And people are so slow to believe that. Oh foolish. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have told you. But the penny drops. The penny drops and they realize that the death of Jesus is not the end of all their dreams. It's the heart of all their hopes. And that inspires them. And it inspires them to do this. It inspires them to return immediately to Jerusalem. And that's the first thing I want to speak a little bit about. The return to Jerusalem. The second thing I want to speak a little bit about is the risen Lord. Because that's made mention of in this passage as well. And the third thing I want us to look at is the revelation that they received these people. And they're back telling the disciples in Jerusalem about this interaction and experience they had. So we're going to look a little bit about the return to Jerusalem, the risen Lord and the revelation that they uh, received. We read there in verse 33, and they rose that same hour and returned uh, to uh, Jerusalem. Now that is very, very interesting. Because these people had taken themselves to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. They had travelled up there. I don't know how much sleep they had gotten over the period, but for many people it was a kind of holiday experience. You know, I suppose we had something like that in a past age with, with communions in the highlands, where people in a past age, they didn't really go on holiday at all, but they would all come together at communion times. So you got vast numbers of people gathering uh, for, um, for, um, for communion seasons. Now I think that in my day and age, we got something of the tail end of it. But I can remember in places like Gerloch and Alt Bay and places like that, huge numbers of people gathering <coughs> for the communion. But you know, and we would go to people's houses and we would have meals and all that. But it must have been so exhausting for some of the people at any rate. The, 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 the women who are providing all the meals and whatnot, it must have been so exhausting. And my point is this, up at Jerusalem, at the Passover, I don't think they would have got a great deal of sleep and they would have been tired and they are heading back to Emmaus. And it's a seven mile journey. That's not an insignificant amount of distance to be travelling. They would have been weedied. And you know they say to them, the day is far spent, come on in. Come on in with us. And you just have this idea that they're tired, that they're wearied, and they just want to get indoors, and they want to get themselves settled, and they want to rest a bit. Although they still want to interact with Jesus, it doesn't take away from the fact these people are tired. And not only are they physically tired, because it's not just the physical aspects that cause us to be tired. There's another tiredness that is far more draining than anything of, you know, a man can be digging a ditch for 60 yards of ditch in a day and, and he puts down his pick and shovel at the end of the day and he's weary to the bone. That's a physical tiredness. But there is another tiredness where you are just emotionally drained, where you've got nothing left at all. And you just can't face another issue. That is another tiredness altogether. And I think they would have been experiencing something of that. Because these people had hopes centered and focused on Jesus of Nazareth. And this Jesus is dead. And all their hopes and all their dreams and all their aspirations are shattered and are in smithereens and it would have drained the very life out of them. 
But you see, this interaction with Jesus of Nazareth did something uh, to them. When they realize it's him, and when they realize that all these Old Testament sayings and the, and the law and the prophets and the Psalms are speaking clearly about him having to die in order to save his people, there is something of a flood of adrenaline soaks into the very fiber of their being. And they're heading back to Jerusalem. It's another seven miles. They were wearied to the bone physically. They were wearied and drained emotionally. But they are all fired up and they are heading back to Jerusalem. But it's not just that. Remember what we said about being outside the city. There were people who made their living by being bandits in these hills. They would assault and assail travellers. And they would leave them for dead, having robbed them of everything. And that was in particularly a danger during the hours of darkness or when it, particularly when it was getting dark because when it was getting dark the robbers would be able to see something of what they were doing and it was a very dangerous do, do you remember what it said? the day is far spent the night is about to come it was a dangerous thing for them to head back to the city of Jerusalem. Do you remember when we were looking at these women who got up before it was light in the morning to get themselves to the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth to anoint the body of what they think is a dead Jesus and you think these people were brave because there were dangers out there. But there was something that overcame their fears. There was something that mastered any prospective danger. And of course what it was. Was love for Jesus. That's what it was. But I think we can say exactly the same. For those two on the road to Emmaus. They have, they have captured something. Of the enormity of who Jesus is and what he's done for them and it involves at this, at this very core the death the death of Jesus and they are inspired and they are on fire because of it and they've got to get themselves back to Jerusalem why? because they've got to tell these other people in Jerusalem about it and that is one of the things about when the eternal God touches the heart of a human being and he opens the eyes of an individual and they can see not only can they see who they are and what they are that they are great sinners but they can see who God is and what God is he is a holy God but they can also see that God has done something about the plight of the human the fallen human race and they have grasped it that he's bridged the gap through an enormous activity on his part. And of course the activity on his part is for the second person of the Trinity to become flesh and dwell among us for 33 years. But of course that's not at all. He needs to be a dead saviour. Why does he need to be a dead saviour? Why can't God do that and save the people in the world? Because God's a God of justice. As well as being a God of, jad, of love. And everything he does must satisfy the attributes of justice. And he said in the garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. The day you eat thereof you shall surely die. And if they don't die eternally. Someone else has to die for them. And we're back to the great doctrine or teaching of substitutionary atonement. There is nothing like it in all this world. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him as a gift to whomsoever will. And bound up in it all is this. He has to die to pay the penalty of sin. We're back to John Murray's The Necessity of the Atonement. There are people who say God could have chosen one of many ways to save. I don't think so. 
because of the nature of God because of the justice of God he chose one way there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved what's the name Jesus what does the name Jesus mean it means saviour what kind of saviour call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins and so there's this return to Jerusalem there's emotional weariness there's physical weariness there's the problem of dangers in the way but everything is mastered because they've captured it and I suppose there are some of us at this moment who want to bury our heads in shame because we are so reluctant at times to tell the world around us what we have seen who Jesus is what he's about and how essential to their salvation he absolutely is they were on fire and they were inspired and you know we should be as well we should be as well but the second thing I want to speak about is um, the risen Lord because we read here uh, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon now it's interesting on resurrection day we have an account of at least five appearances of the risen Lord now there may have been more that were not recorded we just don't know but we do have five uh, that were recorded and let's remember we touched on this as well when we were looking at these women Mary Magdalene seems to have been the first person that Jesus appeared to and remember what we read of Mary Magdalene it was a Mary Magdalene out of whom he cast seven demons she was a wicked woman she was a woman with an incredible history but I suppose at the end of the day we are all here with incredible histories but it's people with incredible histories whose needs can be met by Jesus of Nazareth and I just wonder this I don't think we would have guessed that it would have been Mary Magdalene would have been the first one but you know those that are forgiven much love much and I think Mary Magdalene loved the Saviour and loved her dearly and I wonder if that was part of the reason why Jesus appeared to, to Mary Magdalene. But it wasn't just to Mary Magdalene, it was uh, to the other women as well. In uh, Matthew's Gospel and at chapter 28 and at verse 9 we read, uh, well I, I'll read, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then listen to this. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Isn't that interesting? But there are people there who are full of joy. But they're also full of fear. And yes, we are strange creatures. We can have that dichotomy in our experience. A mixture of joy and fear at one and the same time. Now, it was something supernatural they were interacting with. 
But I wonder why they were so afraid. I wonder if this is part of it. They know who he is. Holy, harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. And he has been true to his word. And they have been so pathetic in their response to him because they are looking for a dead saviour. And is their conscience pricking them and saying, why did you not believe him? Why did you not believe him? And they are reminded once again of their warpedness and their fallenness and their twistedness as sinful human beings. And that makes us afraid. That makes us afraid. But Jesus is there and he's saying to them, don't be afraid. You know, I say this often. I say this often. It's amazing how many times in Scripture you have a record of Jesus, of God saying to people, now listen, don't, don't be afraid. And another of the five appearances is to Peter. Peter, who is saying of Jesus of Nazareth three times over with curses and with oaths, I don't know the man. I simply don't know the man. And would we have blamed Jesus if when he met Peter he had some word of condemnation for him? But it's not there. It's not there. That's the astonishing thing. And then we have these disciples on the road to Emmaus that we've, we've been exploring. These people who again failed Jesus, didn't listen to him, were in the doldrums because they've got their own thinking and their own understanding and he puts it all right for them. He, there isn't a word. Well, I suppose there's this all oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe. But that's not to condemn people. That's not to condemn people. He leaves them exhilarated. And he leaves them on fire. And the fifth appearance is that one we read of in John's Gospel. And it's to these disciples back there in Jerusalem. And this is what we read in John 20 and verse 19 on the evening of that day the first day of the week the doors being locked why were the doors locked these men were terrified if they can do that to Jesus of Nazareth they'll hold back at nothing and doing it the same thing to us we're not blaming them for being terrified on the evening of that day the first day of the week the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews Jesus came and stood among them and said to them listen to it peace be with you what does that tell us about this Jesus of Nazareth he has just been through so 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 much would we have been critical of him if he had focused on himself but he doesn't he knows why these doors are locked he knows the real fears and this is what he's got to say to them peace peace and you know here we are in the 21st century a couple of millennium later and that's still the word of God to a fallen human race peace but it's a qualified peace. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be, you shall be saved. But there is this risen Lord. And you know the criticism is this. You people are gathered here in North Keswick tonight. And you're just wasting your time. It's all myth and legend and fairy story. No it's not. How do we know? The evidence is massive. Even on the resurrection morning. It's not just that he appears to Mary Magdalene on her own and Peter on his own. 
the, the disciples are there as a group. The women are there as a group. The two are on the road to Emmaus. And that's only one of 40 days where Jesus leaves the human race with incontrovertible historic evidence that he mastered the grave and that he rose from it. But I must move on to my third point, and that's the revelation. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. What did Jesus do for these these two people on the road to Emmaus? He revealed things. What, what, What did he reveal to them? He took them to the Old Testament scripture. Which is effect, or was the only revelation, written revelation of God existing at the time. We live in the day and age when the New Testament has been written and we've got it before us. But let's remember what this is. It's a revelation from God to the human race. Now he went to the, the law of Moses and he went to the prophets and he went to the book of Psalms and he revealed these things uh, to them what did, what did he reveal to them well it's clear that they didn't have enough time to go through absolutely everything but I'm going to come up with one or two suggestions of what he might have revealed to them did he go way back to the very first man and woman and to that garden scene and did he say to them the devil that was behind the fall now let's be very careful about this it's the devil who puts the eating of the forbidden fruit into the minds of Adam and Eve and they go along with it but that's the key point they go along with it you know sometimes we try to get ourselves off the hook when we sin and say oh the devil made me do that well yes the devil did tempt you but it's your sin it's my sin They rebelled against God. They sinned against God. And they broke the union and the communion and the fellowship they had with God. And they are out. And they are out forevermore. If they are left to themselves. Except they are not left to themselves. The seed of the woman. And it's not seeds as in plural. It's one seed. And it's a reference to Jesus of Nazareth. In your family tree. He doesn't tell them how far down the family tree. He doesn't give them a a measurement of years or generations or anything like that. But he gives them enough. The child of the woman shall indeed crush the head of, uh, of the serpent. And then I wonder did he come to the history 4,000 years ago with Abraham in in southern Iraq and God speaking to him and saying to him I'll be your God if you want to be my person and Abraham has a choice no 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 I've got my gods and there were many gods in Ar of the Chaldeans but Abraham says yes you'll be my God And God says, and yes, you'll be my person. And one of the things that's going to happen is this. From your descendants will come a blessing to every nation on planet Earth. And the blessing to every nation on planet Earth has come. He came 2,000 years ago. And the blessings of that event are reverberating around this planet to this very day. And that's why you and I are here uh, here in, in North Keswick tonight. At least I hope that's why we are here. But there was a reference to the tribe of Judah in the Old Testament. And there was a reference to a lion of the tribe of Judah. And I wondered... Did Jesus of Nazareth take them to the reference to the lion of the tribe of Judah because Jesus fulfilled all that 
Jesus fulfilled all that. And then I wonder if he took them to an event three and a half thousand years or at least 1446 BC when the Jews left the land of Egypt and the very first Passover was enacted. You take that lamb and you have a meal but take some blood of the lamb and put it on the top on the lintels of your doors and on the doorposts of your doors. They're crowding around the wailing wall in Jerusalem tonight because of the Passover. But what's the Passover all about? The Passover was about this. The blood of the Lamb would cause the angel to pass over the home so that the oldest in the home did not die. Blood saved life. And you come to the epistle to the Corinthians and we read there that Christ our Passover is sacrificed. Every Passover ritual for one and a half thousand years was pointing to a particular Passover lamb. The particular Passover lamb was Christ. Remember what John the Baptist said. Look at him. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world did these people on the road to Emmaus did they hear about the Passover psalm the Passover event and did they hear that Christ said I am the Passover you can't have a Passover without a dead lamb you can't have salvation without a crucified dead Christ and did all the bits and pieces of the puzzle fall in place so that they have this panoramic view of salvation? And that's what inspired them and set them afire and got them heading back the seven miles to Jerusalem. Or did he go to Psalm 22? We looked at that. Psalm 22 that speaks a thousand years before the event of Calvary and gives us one of the seven sayings of the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A psalm that speaks so accurately. They pierced my hands and feet. And you think, how is that possible? That is possible because there's a God in heaven. We've been singing about him tonight. He is almighty God. He created this vast universe. It's a universe that fell. But it's a universe that he has entered himself. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And in that Dwelling, living and dying and rising again. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Did he take them back to Psalm 22? Or did he take them to Psalm 23? Goodness and mercy all my life shall surely follow me. And in God's house forevermore my dwelling place shall be. Let me just pick up on the element of mercy. Where does mercy come into play? Mercy comes into play where there is sin to be dealt with. That's where mercy comes into play, where sin has to be dealt with. Or did he take them to Isaiah chapter 53? He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You know, the Jewish world today... They won't want you to go near Isaiah 53. And if you do, it's about... It's about Israel. It's not about Israel. It's about Jesus of Nazareth. And it is this Jesus of Nazareth and this Jesus of Nazareth only who can get us into heaven and who can deal with our sins. It's he and he only that can do it and there you have it men and well I'm saying men you know 
one of my predecessors who was 42 years and not being the Reverend Walter Macquarie was absolutely sure that it was a man and a woman well maybe it was I don't know the Greek will allow that but whoever they were they were a flame and a fire and they headed back to Jerusalem and at the core of it all is this risen Lord it's historic fact it's the truth that's why we're here tonight and the revelation they got was this Old Testament that was looking forward and that death and that in their eyes calamity was the core of their salvation and it thrilled their souls and I hope that it thrills our souls afresh this night and that it inspires us to bow in worship and in adoration afresh may God grant that it would be so let's pray O Lord our God we thank you that you are who you are and we regret severely that we are who we are but we pray that we would remember to have hope the hope that is based on a saviour who comes to sinners saying peace 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 don't be afraid O Lord our God we pray that we and all our loved ones would be scooped up in the arms of Jesus of Nazareth and would be safe there for time and for eternity Amen Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm 130 It's an apt song because it begins in the doldrums but by the end of the song it's soaring in the heights Psalm 130 Lord from the depths to thee I cried my voice Lord do thou hear to my supplications voice give an attentive ear Lord who shall stand if thou Lord shouldst mark iniquity but yet with thee forgiveness is that feared thou mayest be Page 4 to 1 of the Psalter, we'll sing the whole song, Lord, from the depths to thee I cry.